Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Joe Knows Podcast. I am Darren, your host. On this episode 26, your soul is mine. Apple doing 6G, Apple recent patented approvals, and iOS 14.5 music lyric sharing. Well, in the film and TV segment, award season's heating up. Warner drops R-rated Mortal Kombat trailer, Snyder Justice League trailer, Netflix and Burton to release live-action Adam's Family series, Jordan Peele's new movie casting, Donald Glover News, Apple TV Plus shows and updates, and a video game adaptation to Hollywood. Lastly, the ship segment, Nintendo Talks Next Generation System, and Battle of 80s Music. I hope you listeners enjoy episode 26 of Joe Knows. And it just works. And it just worked. It just works seamlessly. Now the tech segment of the Joe Knows Podcast. With Apple recently launching the iPhone 12s in September of 2020, Apple ushered iPhone's foray into the 5G era. The latest report from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman reports that Apple's most recent job postings now talk about 6G wireless connectivity positions. Can't wait for technology to mature to stay ahead, right? I'm in Canada. We're just getting 5G now in late, I think we had it in late 2019, early 2020, but now we're talking 6G? Come on. We just got 5G. Staying with Apple, some recent patents have showed that Apple's been approved for embedding sensors into displays for both Touch ID and Face ID without a notch. Other patents include a battery that doubles as a haptic feedback engine, Wi-Fi antennas in the screen, Another interesting patent is a backside touchscreen display for both an iPhone and an iPad. I think we'll see some sort of evolution for the iPhone and iPad when this decade closes out, and it will not look like anything we've seen since the iPhone introduced in 2007 and the iPad in 2010. As, as Job famously said at the original iPhone announcement, we have patented this thing. You can do multi-finger gestures on it. And boy, have we patented it. So. Or something like that. <laughs> In the latest uh, beta for iOS 14.5, Apple Music lyric sharing is now v- available, meaning as first spotted by Mac Stories Editor-in-Chief, you can actually long press when you read the individual lines of lyrics and share them via Actions menu with up to five lines of lyrics. That makes it much easier to share your favorite music lines with family and friends. Super cool. That does it for the tech segment of Joe Knows. You have been chosen to defend the realm of Earth in a tournament called Mortal Kombat. But life, the fate of billions will depend upon you. <laughs> Onto the film and television segment of the Joe Knows Podcast, episode 26. Well, the latest from Variety, the award circuit is all leading up to the Oscars. And Chloe Zhao has set a new record with 34 award trophies for directing, 13 for screenplay, 9 for editing, and has now surpassed previous holder Alexander Payne. She is now the most awarded person in Martin Era with 54 win Tally that exceeded Payne's 42 wins. All this for her film, Nomadland, starring Oscar winner Frances McDormand. 
She also has another small film called The Eternals from Marvel Studios that was supposed to come out in 2020 in November, but now scheduled for a year later for November of 2021. That is set to usher in the MCU Phase 4 with a bang with the Who's Who's cast that includes Angelina Jolene, Selma Hayek, Richard Madden, Kit Harington, Kumail Nanjini, and more. Where's the trailer, Marvel? Captain, while a great many people see you as a hero, there are some who would prefer the word vigilante. Well, moving over to Warner, the studio just dropped two trailers. The first, upcoming Mortal Kombat remake from producer James Wan. And for the first time, you get to see an R-rated movie. I've been waiting patiently as this was one of my favorite video games growing up for decades. They had one that was made in the 90s and it was okay. But I mean, this trailer looks just sick. Fatalities, finish him. Wow. Cannot wait. Maybe some friendships and babalities. <laughs> I think fans are pretty happy about this. April can't come soon enough. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target has superhuman abilities. And uh, staying with Warner, Zack Snyder's Cut of Justice League trailer just dropped, and it looks a lot different than the movie we got in 2017 that Joss Whedon directed. This new trailer looks a lot darker with new visuals and a black cape-wearing Superman. Nice. Well, and this is scheduled to come out in March, which is just around the corner, and perhaps this will redeem the DC Justice League movies. Plus, it's four hours long. Not going to be in theaters. If I don't think it'll be opening in Canada soon, so we'll have to rent that. Can't wait. Looks awesome. And now it looks like Netflix has locked up Tim Burton to direct a live-action Wednesday Adams series on Netflix. This character was made famous by Christina Ricci. Showrunners will be Miles Milner and Alfred Gulf, who wrote Spider-Man 2, Shanghai Noon, and of course they were Smallville TV show showrunners. All right, let's see. I mean, that's just going to be right up Tim Burton's uh, imagination, I think. All right, according to Hollywood Reporter, Jordan Peele's newest movie has found its two leads with Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kalu. Perhaps this would be Peele's muse as he starred in Peele's Get Out. Plot is under wraps. It's set for a July 22nd, 2022 release. Staying with The Hollywood Reporter, Donald Glover has recently signed with Amazon Studios for a reboot of Mr. and Mrs. Smith series alongside Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Fleabag, for a 2022 release. And it also looks like Amazon has locked up Glover on an eight-figure deal for projects exclusive to the streaming giant. One of the first projects under this deal is called Hive that is rumored to revolve around a Beyonce-like figure stem from writer Janine Cabers, who did Watchmen and Away. And as well as Malena Obama, you know, daughter of some POTUS. All right. Lastly, on Apple TV Plus original, the TV show called Physical with 10 episodes starring Rose 
Burn is a half an hour dark comedy that takes place in 1980s San Diego about a housewife supporting her smart but controversial husband's bid for state assembly set to debut this summer 2021 with the Mosquito Coast seven episode drama starring Justin Thurox who plays a radical idealist and a brilliant inventor who uproots his family to Mexico as they run from the U.S. government that's set to debut uh, in a couple months April 30th what else do we have here with Apple TV Plus? We have uh, Lisa's Story, an eight-episode thriller based on the Stephen King novel, being produced by J.J. Abrams, starring Juliana Moore, Joanne Allen, and Clive Owen. A thriller by Stephen King. Can't wait. And what else? Oh, last but not least, we have season two of Mythic Quest. Debuts May 7th to find the team building on the success of the fictional game Raven's Banquet by launching an expansion. Love the first season. Quite funny. And Rob McElhaney is back. Okay, new expansion. First job for the new partners. Clean slate, fresh start. Goodbye, Raven's Banquet. Hello, something else. All right, we're talking now with Dave about video game adaptations in Hollywood. Well, can you figure out what the first large movie big movie that was made into a video game on well, top of your head i assume it would be the original tron but oh i guess was that a video game before it was was that a video I, game i don't know uh, maybe the first tron wasn't and then they made tron games and then yeah. they they remade like the newer tron <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not sure but like there is a tron Video game. Yes, there what, is. What was it? What was the new Tron? Tron Legacy or the Tron Legacy here? Actually, let's yeah. look that up here real quick here. So maybe maybe there wasn't a game until the the classic, the original. Yeah, because um, let's see here's released in eighty two, so there could have been some video games, blah blah blah. Oh yeah. It's kind of loosely based on Pong. So I guess it's not really based on anything except it was really creative in what it was, but it wasn't based on a real video game. Oh, okay. based, on, based on the concept of video games, but... Because, yeah, I mean, other than that, the early video games that I can think of was... There, um, there was a Street Fighter, there was the Super Mario Brothers movie. Super Mario, man, that more or less kicked it off in, I think, looking up in 93. <laughs> Was that really the first one? That I could see from the kind of popular games. I mean, they've been by some more obscure games, but from a large fan base that people would know Super Mario, like, you know, right. of that character. And then, of course, right after that, 94 was Double Dragon. Did you ever watch that? Double Dragon? No. Remember the game? The game was. Oh, I remember. I remember the game. Game was great. Yeah, the game actually, or the movie actually had Robert Patrick, T1000. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott Wolf and Alyssa Milano. Okay. And then in that same year, you just said Street Fighter came out, well, of course, with Van Damme. And that was decent. I mean, for it cost $35 million to make and made close to $99 million. And I mean, had a decent cast. It had Ming-Na Wen and Kylie Minogue. Right. Of course, Roe Julian as... Uh, who's that bad guy again? Like, M. Bison. Was it M. Bison? Is that M. The... Bison's the character. Yeah, I don't know who. 
is is yeah. he is he the villain like the last guy you fight in Street oh yeah Fighter? yeah yeah in- so that's yeah that's who Ro Julian plays okay but, yeah that was a really strange movie because it was like Van Damme just played Van Damme but he played an American soldier called Guile I mean because that character is American but hmm. and then yeah, of course I, I don't even remember like I I did watch it. Like he's I, like in the UN I, and stuff as well. It's yeah. just really just yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of like not believable because Van Damme's just not that good of an actor. Well, I, I don't know. I enjoyed some of his movies, but yeah, he's not he's not a serious actor. He's not, you know, like a like a theater actor. Or no, of course not. I guess it fit the bill, but when he plays an American, they should have just changed the part out or something. Well, especially because. His accent doesn't yeah, really go he, away. Because he, he, he ain't good at hiding his accent, that's for sure. Like, is, he, is he French? Is that what he is? Yeah, he's, well, he's Belgian. Yeah. Well, Belgian. I mean, his ac- accent. Yeah, he yeah. has the French accent, right? Yeah. So Belgian. And the muscles but, uh, from Brussels, right? That, that was his nickname. That's that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like Schwarzenegger. Yeah. I mean, when he when he talks, his accent don't go yeah. anywhere. Yeah, because he's, he's not going to try to hide it. He's just, that's who I am. Yeah. Well, of course, in 95, we had the first Mortal Kombat, and that had a bunch of Christopher Lambert, Bridget Wilson, uh, Kerry Hawayuki Tawa, the Japanese actor that's been in lots of movies, and Paul Girl Anderson. From, uh, Billy Madison? Yep, Billy Madison. Well, Pete Sampras' wife, yep. Is that who that? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's who uh, wow. she married. I I didn't know that. That's why she's, well, I guess she's Bridget Sampras now, but she was Bridget Wilson at the time. We're going to start today by reading together a short story entitled My Sister Fanny. (laughs) Quiet. Okay, so let's all open up our reading is fun books to page 69. 69. I'm like, we were all looking forward to this movie. It didn't do very well, but I mean, it it did okay at the box office. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't well at the box office for a video game, but it didn't give you some fatalities and moves but just it just wasn't quite what fans wanted i mean i don't think sorry i was gonna say like because we were talking street fighter and then you talk mortal Kombat. like street fighter you can get away with because the game itself was a little bit less violent yeah it was like more pg rated it was more cartoon cartoon based cartoon like you know what i mean uh it's a little bit less aggressive (laughs) and uh you know, people who played Mortal Kombat expected More. to see. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was, too. And, I mean, I kind of knew when the ratings came, I was like, oh, so it's not going to be that. But, I mean, it had some moments. But, I mean, uh, other than that, but... go ahead. I was going to say, I don't necessarily think the technology um, for CG and maybe having a less, like, a smaller budget, it, it kind of hurts those sort of elements of a movie like that oh yeah because it's a lot of it's fantasy base you have all these creatures and like visual effects and video games where you can you know put on the extra you know costumes and you know the magical mystical whatever you want to call it, that aspect of the game wasn't available i guess to their budget needs because it was a smaller studio doing it but right but i mean we'll come back to the director paul anderson because he went on to do uh, resident evil but mm-hmm uh, the bombs leading up to Resident Evil, though, other ones were Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, which, you know, I thought... That was, was a bomb? Yeah, for... It, really? cost, it cost a lot, $137 million to make, and mm-hmm. it only returned $85 million. Okay, well, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed that movie somewhat, but yeah, it was 
it definitely didn't meet my expectations though it was nothing to do with any of the stories right from i think it was actually directed by a japanese director as well that had something to do with the whole final fantasy genre well typically the final fantasy stuff seemed to be a bit more like mythical with you know like lord of the rings knights in armor and they they would incorporate some sort of magic and science element sort of like a like a steampunk theme yep. to a lot of stuff but this one it was like space and it was spaced and kind of american well i don't want to say americanized but kind of made it more like oh science and you know more realistic to a certain extent it was yeah it was more like a space sci-fi movie yeah. than like a final fantasy vibe yeah. yeah i mean i thought the effects for the computer generated at the time were fantastic oh yeah it, like there were times like if you just for a second your brain kind of forgets that you're watching a, like an, an animated like yeah movie at least for that time that it came out i'm surprised they wouldn't come back to it now but i guess it's probably a big undertaking because you 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 can't go on the cheap to make it but then you don't want to go all out because they're so invested yeah in the video games right yeah so and those budgets are huge and they also do so well so it's like i don't know maybe they just figured movies are a waste of their time well, yeah, and then that leads us to because that came on two thousand one, and in two thousand two, the first Resident Evils came, and to date, I believe from one of my research I did, it's the most successful of the video game franchises right now. With the is six... that based on like sales box office yeah. versus versus budget? Yep, or like fan rated? Nope. Oh yeah, no, not fan rated. No, based Cause... on budget. Budget of two hundred eighty-eight okay. million. That was for mm-hmm. six movies. And out of the six movies, this is just at the theaters. It made one point two billion out of the six movies. One point two billion. Yeah, out of the six movies. Wow. And most recently in twenty seventeen, China, if you can believe it, was it made over one hundred sixty million in China alone. In a top secret research lab, security has been breached. A deadly virus capable of contaminating the entire world has been released. Oh, wow. That's crazy. They love their fantasy. And it's actually Capcom, obviously, the Japanese. Mm -hmm. Still affiliated with that uh, franchise still, doing, uh, you know, making sure, you know, I enjoyed the first couple and stuff. And, you know, for what it is, you're not going to be expecting, you know, realism. It's like, it's zombies. Before zombies became really mainstream. Even though it's been around, because you usually think of zombies that are like super slow and they don't move. And mm-hmm. well, yeah, they actually made them like pretty intense in the uh, Resident Evil franchise, right? So yeah, and then I guess more recently in 2016, I don't think you said you've seen it yet, though. But the Assassin Creed with Michael Fassbender, did you see that movie or no? I didn't. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed yeah. uh, video game franchise, especially like I haven't played the new one the um, Valhalla, but the last two that they did that are more open world games, they're just so incredibly put together. And I don't know. I, since video games don't tend to do so well, I just, I didn't want to risk watching it and get like a, it's not that I would never play a game again. It's just put like a bad taste. It's like a, I don't know, like a strike against them or something. If I were to watch it and hate it. 
Well, I mean, like it, it would cost 125 million to make, and they made 240. Of course, that probably is still not what they wanted because they were supposed to launch it into a you know a franchise for uh, Michael Fassbender. But um, a friend of mine saw it, and he played Assassin's Creed, maybe not as much as you, and he thought it followed some aspects of the concept of Assassin's Creed. But okay, I mean, overall, I didn't think it was that terrible of a movie. I mean, I think it just gets stuck because it's like. I'm not sure what the industry expects when they make video games. Yeah. Like it's a video game. It's like, it's like, Oh, it's not quite like this. It should be like this. It's like, it's a video game. Like it's like a comic somewhat, you know, it's a new version. I would say like, I think video games itself kind of like taken on like the comic book work where comics for a long time were kind of relegated to like, Oh, it's not good enough for the screen still. Yeah. Well, it's tough, right? Like, I mean, even take uh, Prince of Persia when it came out. And I mean, I mean, it's a Disney picture. And, yeah. you know, they get, uh, what's his face? I can't remember his name right now. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, G- Gyllenhaal. So, I mean, he's a, he was a pretty big deal at the time. He was yep. like, he was like the hot kind of item actor. And, you know, Prince of Persia was a really successful game. And a lot of people had huge expectations for that. And, I mean, I saw it, and I mean, it was pretty sad. I, I thought, I mean, especially with Disney's, you know, kind of budget and markets marketing. You know, yeah, it's just and they should have been able to do a lot better with that movie. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like they phoned it in. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we'll just follow you know the base story of the game, put some fight scenes in here, and you know, a pretty guy and a pretty girl, and it's like off to the races and it'll make money and it just yeah. didn't no and oh and we'll, we'll get bruckheimer to help out too yeah yeah bruckheimer you want to help out <laughs> and bam like yeah i mean i think yeah i mean i skipped that one over because it was just you know i mean i think it's a really popular game but i don't think it was probably not the same level as assassin creeds i don't think but i mean it's still popular but i don't know like i mean they're coming out right now obviously with the uncharted movie with tom holland and mark Wahlberg. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I'm actually excited. I think Tom Holland, I don't know, it'd be nice to see him in that role. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was really surprised when they cast Tom Holland to play um, Nathan Drake as a character in, in Uncharted. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. He, <laughs> did you, I can't remember his name. He's the guy from uh, Nathan Nathan Fillion. Is yeah, that his Nathan name? Fillion. Yep. The, guy, the character in the game Almost looks like, looks like Nathan yeah. Fillion, and I'm like, yeah. they're gonna get Nathan Fillion to play this guy. And it just took too long. Because I yeah. mean, yeah, maybe if he was 15 years younger, they probably would get him. Because yeah, I totally looks like he totally looks like him. But uh, yeah, I mean, Tom Holland, I think he's a good actor, so it'll be it'll be interesting. Actually, I move back. I forgot about 2019 when Netflix released The Witcher. I mean, I'm not sure if that was the biggest video game in the world, but. But that was more of a TV series, right? Yeah. But I mean, I was just thinking about how I thought whatever they did meant the essence of a video game, they created this back world, all this mythology behind it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's also because it's a TV series, you're allowed to have that medium to do storytelling, story building, as long as you can do it right. Because in a movie, you got to be quick, boom, 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 two, three scenes about a backstory and you move on to the next scene, you know, like. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. Um the Witcher especially has a lot of like lore and history. Yeah. Um, and a lot of things going on 
the, the people who play the games, you know, they follow closely, um, you know, through the different games that have come out and the books and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, I have never read any of the books or comics or anything, yeah. but um, the series did a really good job. But like I say, it's, it's still hard. Like it's probably good that they did a TV series because yeah. it gives them the ability to tell all those kind of side stories. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And then which leads us. Oh yeah. Actually they also had that wicked song in there too. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Toss, toss your coin. Toss a coin. To oh, the yeah. Respect doesn't make history. Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, valley of plenty. Oh, valley of plenty. It's, I, it's kind of a really bad song, but yeah and then, which leads and i us... think that well, i think that was in the games like i can't remember was it in the game oh it, it, it must have been i think I mean... so so they're tying it back you know like kind of like a easter egg or something but... yeah to call out to the fans hey you know you would you like this song in here and yeah and then, then i guess it leads us to uh the most the aforementioned mortal Kombat uh that kind of kicked it off and stuff that were that got me thinking about doing this for this podcast was the new trailer. I mean, it's the first time we'll see an R-rated Mortal Kombat where, you know, the writer and the director came out I think about a month ago just to tell fans, they said it was going to be R-rated and it's still R-rated saying you will see fatalities finally. Yeah, and that's Which awesome. is what fans have been waiting for. They want to see, fate. I mean, it is what it is. It's not like it's never been done before and, but I mean, it was it's, it's specialty was fatalities, right? Finish them! wins. Yeah, and that's coming out this April. April, April, regardless of COVID. Because uh, okay. re- the studio Warner, they're going to release it in the theaters that are available and their streaming service HBO Max. And so in Canada, it will be on uh, Crave. Okay. I'm not sure if you have to pay for it as a premium rental at first, but because they're also doing Godzilla like that next month as well. Godzilla versus King Kong. If you haven't seen that trailer, that looks pretty sick as well. Uh, I haven't no, but uh, I mean, it's... I, I mean, I didn't watch any any of those last Godzillas, so I mean, there's a bit of a tie-in because they tie in the Godzilla that came out quite a long time ago in 2014. They also tied it in with the King Kong standalone on Skull Island, and then they did the the uh, other Godzilla movie that just came out I think three years ago. Kind of all tied together to each one. This is a kind of accumulation of you know the three movies. Okay. You finally get to see Godzilla fight King Kong. What we've all been waiting for? (laughs) What a day and age we live in, I tell you, with all these uh, mishmash. I'm sure the old, old, um, like, monster movies, though. I mean, Godzilla and King Kong have already fought, I'm sure. I don't, I'm not into that genre so much, and... Yeah, um, you're probably I, right. I know there's a cult, well, there's a cult following for that stuff, right? Yeah. Mothra and I forget the other. Oh, yeah, because they were in the la- they were in one of the uh, Godzilla. They were in the uh, one of the, the last Godzilla movie. Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people, and we don't know why. There's something provoking him that we're not seeing here. I'm of the same opinion. The myths are real. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. No. Um. It's all out. I mean. 
I mean, I guess it's just for fun. I mean, these movies you can't take it too serious. Be like, hey, well, that can't happen in real life. I'm like, oh, no kidding. It's Godzilla or it's Kong. Like, come on. Like, we're just trying to have some fun here with these fantasy kind of movies. Well, I mean, I know uh, you didn't you didn't mention it, but I mean, we just uh, it was what like two years ago. I mean, The Rock had that one movie, right? It was a uh... oh Rampage. That's yeah, the monster game. <laughs> We used to always play it like oh my God. climbing up the buildings or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that one did very well. No, that, that bombed as well. So yeah. Yeah, you know, I totally forgot about that one. But yeah, no, I mean, that one is like, seriously, you guys are really running out of ideas. You're going to, on a B movie, sorry, on a B video game. Like it's not even like top of the top of video games. It's like, yeah, what video game was popular for a bit? Oh, Rampage. Let's, let's do that. Is that his only, I had a feeling like the Rock did another video game adaptation, or am I just am I confusing him with someone else? Uh, you might be. I don't think he's. He, he didn't do the Doom movie, did he? Oh yes, Doom. I totally forgot about that one too. Yeah, was he, he in did it, the though? Doom? Yeah, that was when he first started breaking out into doing movies. Okay, he he wasn't the main star. It was like Carl Urban or something. Yeah, Carl Urban and him were the stars. But yeah, like he was kind of more or less. Carl Urban was kind of getting out with Lord of the Rings and stuff, and then this came up. So. Hmm, right. Totally forgot about that. <laughs> All these trying to make video games. Well, thanks, Dave. That does it for the film and TV segment of the Joe Knows podcast. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. As Mortal Kombat. Now, on to the ship segment of the Joe Knows Podcast. All right, first up, video game giant Nintendo had an interview with uh, Nikkei, spoke with the current president, Shantaro Firakua, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who has been in this role since 2018, explaining how the Japanese giant wants to propose new forms of entertainment. He, he went on to say that Nintendo's hardware and software teams are in the same building and communicating closely regarding what will be the company's next generation what console will look like and games. Well, in order to create a single piece of hardware, we have to do a lot of preparation several years in advance, so we are working without stopping, quote. In the interview, he goes on to say, the deciding factor whether or not to commercialize a product is whether it can create a new experience. He also alluded, uh, sorry, Fira Kirwa also alluded to the fact that Nintendo is planning for the Switch to have an extended life cycle. It's hard to believe that this system's actually been out since March 2017, making it nearly four years old next month. And uh, since it's one-piece hardware that can be used to play both stationary and portable games, the company thinks they can offer a wide variety of software for this purpose, that the life cycle can be extended. As we know, the company most recently shipped 80 million consoles as of December. All right, it's time for just... 80s battle of music dave's here again we're gonna just talk about the 80s here i mean look at this mishmash of music that spawned madonna mj even though mj came with jackson five Montley crew right 
Of Jean, course. GNR. New Kids, Whitney Houston. And of course, one of the big ones in the 80s was The Birth of Gangster Rappers, NWA. The real rap. <laughs> the real rap. <laughs> not, not, I mean, the, not the mumble rap that we, I mean, that we hear today. Yeah, I swear you're right. It's like rap these days, like all mumbled and like. I can't no, understand like, a thing, man. I can't. It's, not, it's not even catchy. There's like no good beats behind it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not understanding that type of music and stuff. And then, of course, Bon Jovi as well was another big <laughs> artist in the 80s. I'm not sure if I missed anybody that you can think of. I mean, oh, yeah, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, I guess Prince is another big yeah. one. But I mean, I'm looking at like at the top 10 selling albums. Number 10 was Bon Jovi. Do you know which album that'd be? I don't know, Living on a Prayer, probably? No, you're looking it up, but Slippery When Wet. It was it was Slippery, okay. Yeah, 12.9 mil, which comes in with number nine, tied with Dire Straits. Huh. Even though, they're back from the 70s, though, from what I remember, right? And they were yeah, but I mean, they crossed into the 80s, into the too. 80s, yeah. so, I mean, it's, like, it's like Queen. Queen was in the 70s, yeah. but they're in the 80s, I mean. And only story. one album made it into the top 10 live can you think of an artist from boston that made it what sorry made it into the top 10 for best-selling albums of the 80s actually an artist from boston an oh, artist yeah. from boston yeah oh i can't like no <laughs> he's super he's still around bruce springsteen oh really it's the boss the boss and the easy street band it was a live album was, okay Came in with 13.1. Number seven was Prince and the Revolution, his Purple Rain album. Were you a big Prince fan? Um, not huge, but I mean, he's, he he's really damn good. Yeah. Like a lot of people kind of see Prince as like the singer and a sex symbol. And a lot of people didn't really know he was a, an amazing guitar player, too. I was going to ask you about that. Was he an amazing guitar player? Oh, he was, he was so good. Yes. And you know, like he he actually wrote a lot of songs for other people. Like he wrote that uh, famous Sinead O'Connor song, "Nothing Compares to You." Oh. Nothing compares, nothing compares to you. And like stuff like that. Was he writing it like you know that they knew that he wrote it? Like he kind of came out and said like I wrote it, or was it kind of? I, I think he originally wrote it for himself and just didn't feel like it was something that was for him. Um. Yeah, I think he he just it's oh this song's not going to be good for me. I mean, I could be wrong on that story. And then he kind of like pitched it around. I don't know if he specifically wrote it for Sinead. Yeah. But um. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. And then coming in at number six is a British fellow. Phil Collins? No oh. jacket required. Oh, that was a good album. 13.8 mil. I'm a, was, I'm a was, big Phil Collins fan. Was that Phil Collins' second album solo? Or was that his kind of debut mm. album? I can't remember now. No jacket it's, required. No jacket required? Yeah. I don't know, because I get uh, like Phil Collins and Genesis albums mixed up. <laughs> was he integral in that band? Like, Was he... Genesis? Would you well, say? I mean, was he? I I prefer Genesis with Phil Collins. Um, yeah. like originally it was P Peter Gabriel was yeah Peter singer. Gabriel yeah, and Phil Collins was he played the drums. 
but I'm just wondering, like, was it like kind of like both their bands, or was it kind of like you know, once he left, Genesis wasn't the same, or like I was kind of. I, I think Genesis. It be, Genesis became Genesis when Phil Collins took over. Like, okay. I, I don't know if when Peter Gabriel was in the band, yeah. if um, you know, it was considered Peter Gabriel's band. Yeah. Um, I mean, you also have Mark Rutherford in there. And uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, uh, what's his start name? He's probably um, who were like part of the original group. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm drawing a blank on that, but um, yeah. And then Phil Collins came. He was, you know, once like started singing or whatever, and it was just like, wow. Like, it was almost like they became a new band when he started kind of adding his input to the band. I think so. Yeah. It just, it just changed everything so significantly like yeah. just his influence yeah. and I, th- I think they if that didn't happen i don't know if genesis would have actually stuck around i think yeah. they probably would have just faded away well then after that we have number five whitney houston's self-titled album 14.2 yeah well it's crazy she was she was amazing. Oh, she was a great singer. It's crazy because I um, the other thing that kind of got me thinking about this was on a weekend I was on Apple Music listening to some tunes and then I saw this random mix of '80s music coming up and I'm like listening to them like holy crap! There's so many different like '80 artists in here. I was like, like that had all these different singles and it, it was like a mishmash of like songs. Of course, you had "Sweet Child or Mine" here, "Tears for Fears." Um, Fleetwood Mac, Toto with Africa. Remember that song? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Of course, Journey. You can't have an 80s without Journey, right? Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's such a broad range of artists, right? Like, I mean, Oh. I mean, still, you got you to think like Elton John yeah. has been a huge artist for like so long. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't remember what year he actually started playing, um, like in the 70s. I, I don't know if he was in playing in the 60s, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say probably the 70s, but uh, 62, he was active. But I mean, I don't think he, you know. Like with, with hit songs? Yeah. Ma- with, maybe, maybe. Uh, showing that... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure when he had his first hit. Yeah, that's not shown here. Not till 67, not till 1970. His okay. first hit was 1970. With I mean, uh, your song. Which one's that? That's what's called. Your song. Oh, I thought you were like trying to get me to guess. You, your song. That one you like. <laughs> it totally oh, no. was like that. And you can tell everybody this is your song. Not a huge Elton John fan, but it is good. He's good. He's good. And then we have number four for number four, GNR, Appetite for Destruction. Oh, wow. 15.6. And then the boss is a number three again with (laughs) what else? Born in the USA, Mm -hmm. 15.9. Number two was really strange. It came out in 1980. Can you think of which album sold 19 million? That came 19. out in 
a rock band in 1980. We talked about them before in the podcast, too. Probably you, too. Nope. Close. It's a rock band. Actually, I think, was it you, too? Oh, in 1980? Yeah, it came out in 1980. Oh, yeah, no, 19... The album. Like, the best U2 albums weren't until, like, late 80s. Yeah. Um, We had... We had like a... Brian Adams no. album? Not an American band. You'd think they're American, but they're not. Is it a British band? Canadian band? Aussie band. Well, no. ACDC. Back in black, baby. 19.1 wow. million. As soon as you said Aussie band, it's like, well, that's the only <laughs> one. <laughs> what about NXS, man? <laughs> another, NXS, really, they're was, really good. Another song that was on that 80s mix there as well. It's crazy. So who do you think finished number one in the 80s? Oh man, that's that's tough. I mean, you had like kind of bands that were doing really, really well. Oh, like, I know. Isn't it? And, think about the, some of the bands that sold so well. But this is know, not, you got like this band is... bands like The Police. You got, I mean, Run DMC was up and coming. Yeah. Um, okay, well, this is not a band. It's it's an artist. It's a single individual artist from the nineteen eighties. Yeah, I'm. Probably going to have to go with Michael Jackson. You know it. Thriller. There you go. 29 mil. MJ, oh. I was surprised not to see Madonna in the top 10 for albums sold. For Did she not get, 10. she started getting bigger kind of late, late 80s and stuff and um, kind of scanning back on the top. See, Joshua Tree was 11 mil at number 15. Like a Virgin came in at 10 mil, 1984. Jo- Joshua Tree was 87 though. Yeah, so this is from the 80s. So this she was a 17 Madonna's album appeared. Crazy, man. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it, there was a lot of great bands in the 80s. A lot of Your Van Halen. Not, not so great bands. Your Van Halen, man, 1984. Sold mm-hmm. 10 million albums. Um, yeah, and like The Police. The Police were a big 80s band. The Police. I don't see The Police even in the top 20 here. I'm scanning here. Now. Well, I mean, they were more probably a little bit more famous in the late 70s. Yeah, but, late uh, 70s. They, just, they crossed into the early 80s. Kind of uh, with like Ghost, Ghost and Machine. That's my favorite police album. Came out in 81. So 83 was the first one here. And number 30, Synchronicity. Oh, Synchronicity, yeah. Synchronicity, 8 mil. It's only at 30, eh? Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, they barely sold more than New Kids on the Block. Hanging tough. <laughs> well, don't tell Sting. <laughs> yeah, so it's crazy. Cause look at the top. There's like a lot of huge bands in the 80s that just like sold like in excess of 7 million. Like Justice, Metallica and Justice for All, Aerosmith's Pump. I was thinking Aerosmith should be in there. Yeah, but they weren't. They, they didn't reach a top 10. You were talking how like, you know, it was the emergence or you know, the breakout of hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of any, any hip hop artists, not like non R and B 
acts that make it into the list? I'm kind of scanning right now. We have the Beastie Boys right now sitting at uh, number 27. Licensed mm-hmm. to ill at 9 mil. And, oh, man, oh, man. Bobby Brown, but he's not hip-hop, so. Hmm. Well, I'm scanning up to 42, 43, 44, 45. Collins is back-to-back back there. White yeah, for some Snake. reason, I thought... Like Run DMC or Public Enemy might have, you know, been in there, but I guess it's tough because, it, you know, it wasn't a the most popular genre compared to, you know, rock and uh, pop music. No. So it's, um, but I mean, they still did comparatively well considering, you know, they were a less popular genre. And I wonder if it's because maybe they're on a small album, like a small label that uh, they didn't kind of get, you know, the actual numbers right because you know Sugnake probably like nope it didn't make any money well like the record labels didn't take a lot of them seriously either right um back then I mean and now I mean half of the you know multi-million dollar recording artists are you know pop and uh rap artists right so it's you know rock's kind of taking a back seat although it's experiencing a resurgence yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, it's, you know, I think it's kind of been like this for since, I think, you know, Eminem in the 2000s mm-hmm. where it kind of shifted. I think he was a big reason why, you know, hip-hop's kind of where it is, obviously with his influence with Dr. Dre being in it as well. Yeah, well, that's for sure. I mean, the Dr. Dre... Snoop Dogg years were good too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it if it's the the race card crossover appeal. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, or you know, people. I don't know. It's tough, man, especially with when it comes to the states. Um, yeah. Some people just they have a chip on their shoulder about you know certain things yep. culturally. For sure. No, it looks like they only sold one point five million. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Straight out of Compton, crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube. Hmm. Which is crazy to think it sold so little. Yeah. But I mean, their influence is obviously still there. I mean, look at the artists that spawn, you know, from Easy E to. Uh, Ice Cube and Dr. Dre. I mean, probably the most influential uh, hip hop artists of all time. True. You know, so awesome, man. Well, thanks, Dave. That does it for the Joe Knows podcast. Uh, if you haven't done yet, please subscribe to my podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, Knows Podcast, Instagram, Joe Knows Podcast, and Facebook at Joe Knows Podcast. Until next time, Joe out. A little quiz for you to see if I can test you about who had the best selling album from the 80s. I got my Google ready. <laughs> <laughs> <Fucker>. <laughs>